and welcome to the Research Works podcast, brought to you in association with Curtin University and the Healthy Strides Foundation. Your hosts are Dr. Dana Poole and Dr. Ashley Thornton, and together we will interview world-leading researchers in the area of child health to support your practice in being more evidence-based. The team at the Research Works podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land and waters on which we live and work. We pay our respects to all First Nations peoples, elders past and present, and would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast each week, the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation. We recognise their continued connection to this beautiful Buja we call home. Well, hello, everyone. We're so glad you decided to join us today for an episode of the Research Weeks podcast. But Ash, we're recording an episode a bit earlier than usual. We are. We are. We have a very exciting episode today, an early episode. And very it's early. exciting because we have a very special guest with us. We do. Please welcome <laughs> Minister Bill Shorten. Hi. Welcome as you look behind you. No, it's definitely you. Very modest. I was looking for the special guest. Um, no, a long-time listener. First time caller. <laughs> I love that. Well, it's such a privilege to have you in our studio today. And today you're doing a bit of a tour around Healthy Strides. There's a hive of activity that's happening here. But sure um, we're really glad to be able to share some of our conversation with our listeners today. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, you know, when we started recording this podcast a few years ago, <laughs> our, our aim was really to promote knowledge translation. So yep. getting research evidence into the hands of clinicians who can implement it yep. into their practice. And yeah. if you told me back then we'd be speaking with you today, Minister, uh, just a few <laughs> years later, I don't know that I would have believed it. <laughs> I would have laughed. I'm like, yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> Not us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But we're still here. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. I, I think you're being both more modest than you realise. Um, <laughs> when we campaigned to set up the National Disability Insurance Scheme more than 10 mm -hmm. years ago, one of the dreams I had was that through the investment of individual packages in, in people, that we would create more research, more investment, mm. uh, the depth of services. So, mm. you know, I'm the one who's lucky enough to be here to see what you're doing to make a, a dream real for people. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. And we see it every day, we don't do. we? We see the impact of what uh, the NDIS has done. Yeah. Um, I think for a lot of people within Australia, they mm. know what the NDIS is, but it's probably mm. worth for our international listeners to know a bit more about that just before we yes, go on. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because we have, amazing. you know, people from mm. Australia who are lo we're lucky enough to call our listeners, but we do have some overseas mm. who, listeners who join us as well. So yeah. uh, for those listeners in particular, we're really <laughs> excited today because Minister Bill Shorten is yeah. the Minister for the National Disability Insurance Scheme or the NDIS, which we might refer mm. to that as, as we go through yeah. the podcast. Um, and in a Australia, the NDIS provides funding to eligible eligible people with disability to gain more time with family and friends, Perfect. greater independence, yep. access to new skills, jobs or volunteering in their community and an improved quality of life. The NDIS has certainly changed the landscape of service provision here mm. in Australia and it really puts choice and control in the hands of consumers. Yeah. It's truly world leading. Mm. And we were just saying that as you walk through the doors today, you know, we wouldn't be around as an mm. organization 
even doing knowledge translation, if there wasn't that space to think about it mm. and to be able to push the boundaries of what we can do. Yes. Um, but before we get into some of the questions that we mm-hmm. do have for the minister, yes. we probably haven't told him about the fact that we have an icebreaker question. No, but he is a long-time listener, so <laughs> he'll be familiar true. with That's our true. icebreaker question. <laughs> <laughs> and we like to get those out of the way before we get into the serious uh-huh. stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> so our question for you today is, would you rather be chronically overdressed or chronically underdressed? Mm, I'd rather be overdressed, but more often than not, I'm underdressed. (laughs) My wife has told me, stop wearing the tracksuit. COVID-19's over. You must go back to clothes, which are not all sided by elastic. (laughs) And that was such a hard transition as well. It was. I have to admit, I'm still struggling with that. So if I can, if I do have a Weekend at home, it's mm. the elasticated pants all the way. Much more productive in my like, Ugg boots. Yeah, yeah, same, same, same. <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. So, yeah, so I'd I like aspire answer. to be overdressed, but uh-huh. more often than not, underdressed. Mm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. What okay. about you, Dana? Um, I think I would be the same. I aspire to be overdressed because mm. we know what it's like to turn up to something and you just go, this is very inappropriate. Mm. So if you go overdressed, at least from that point of view, you can come in confidently and then you just make everyone else feel bad for not, like, dressing to the occasion. Yeah. Like, like, you just... Well, you pay people a compliment of making the effort to dress up, but yeah. I, I'm a Gen Xer, um, so I can still remember when, and my family didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up, I can remember when we used to dress up to catch an aeroplane. Yeah. Mm. That is not a rule that applies anymore. No, no. it is not. No. <laughs> That's so true. I, That's changed I actually, a lot. <laughs> I actually went to the movies the other night for the first time in probably five years, there were people there in their pyjamas. No. Yeah, they were very comfortable to, oh. to go to. And I had made the effort because yes. I hadn't been for so yes. many years to, uh-huh. to put some nice, nicer clothes I would say on. that would be the COVID effect. We watch movies in pyjamas. Yeah. And there were people, they had blankets been, with them. They had the boots but on. But then there's was, this new fashion being invented. I don't know if it's a global <laughs> fashion or an Australian fashion, the Udi. Yes. We, I have seen There were that. lots of Udis at the cinema that <laughs> Have you got Udis in the West yet or that's next year? No, no, we have. No, we have. Made it across <laughs> the Nullarbor. We have. Okay. It has made its way. I mean, they're ugly and comfortable all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least it's marketed that way. You know, it's unapologetically so. Absolutely. Will our foreign, will our overseas guests know what an Udi is? How would you describe Ooh. an Udi? It's like a blanket that you wear. <laughs> so it's well, so, it has a hood. That's kind of the mechanism for putting it through. on. Yeah. You stick your head through the hood, like a poncho, and then it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like a an overdressed, an overdressed pon- poncho. Yeah. Yes. Fluffy. Yeah. Warm. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about, I feel like we've got a bit of a glimpse in terms of the chronically mm. overdressed or underdressed, mm-hmm. Ash. Where, where would you see yourself? Oh, I think if I'm going to an event, mm-hmm. I'd rather be overdressed mm-hmm. than underdressed because yes. you can just own it, right? You own it, yeah. But it's perspective. My, yeah. my soul, <laughs> deep in my soul, I just want to wear my tracksuit pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we go. We have we have NDIS and yeah. uh, what's happening in our souls in common. Yes, when it that's comes really to good. Wonderful. Well, we should probably get into the NDIS. <laughs> yes, then, do that. While we've still got the time yes. to. All right, here we so. go. <laughs> well, it's been a great show, and I've got to go. Thank yeah, you. yeah. <laughs> Quick question. A question I know. we asked about the Audis. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, Minister, yeah. we read the beautiful forward that you wrote for mm-hmm. the Australian Cerebral Palsy mm. Register report this year, twenty twenty three. One of the key phrases that really stood out for us as as researchers, as clinicians who work with children with disability was that this register was setting the standard of best practice that serves all disability types. Can you expand on what you mean by that? Evidence is crucial. Mm. It's about learning lessons and then not forgetting them. Mm. It's about understanding what works. Yeah. 
disability can happen to any of us. Yeah. And this is just uh, the underlying values of the NDIS, which we helped create, as I said, about 13, 10 years ago. Disability can affect any of us. Mm. But up till a decade plus ago in Australia, the only way you could get funding is if the crisis you were in today was worse than yesterday mm. and tomorrow you'd be in an even worse crisis than today. Wow. But allocating resources by crisis is just wasteful. Mm. So instead... The NDIS believes that impairments affect a life. Get it at birth through a non-standard journey. You can have it in the blink of an eye mm. in a motor vehicle accident mm. or swimming in the surf or just through the onset of ageing and the particular personal DNA key you have in your system. Mm. But it shouldn't define you. The reality is that a person shouldn't be viewed just through the prism of their impairment. You've got to look at the whole person. So the NDIS was a breakthrough idea where you give a package of money mm -hmm. to an individual and their family and trust them mm. to uh, make decisions and then what hopefully by providing support for the most severely and profoundly impaired people can do is it will attract new investment. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the big barrier of disability is a lack of money, mm -hmm. a lack of power. Mm. Now the NDIS has, I think, cracked that nut and now we can work on that. And now what's very important is 10 years on, we've got to look at what's working and we've also learnt that the earlier you can intervene in a child's life to yes. help them in their journey, you have a disproportionately exponential wonderful effect for the rest yeah. of their life. Yeah, absolutely. And yep. what the NDIS does is it, it looks at what can a person do, not what they can't do. That's mm. right, yeah. yeah. And that's been a big shift in, in the yes. research conversations we have with yeah. researchers from all over the world. We're talking about that now. We're not talking yeah. about the problems to fix, but what are the possibilities yes. and what can they do? And, yeah. and that's been a, an amazing paradigm shift. Mm. So... Minister, the, the sustainability of our NDIS is obviously mm. always a huge topic of conversation. Yeah. What's beautiful right now, we want to ensure we'll be here for future generations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do we decide where the best value for money is? Well, for our friends overseas, but also even for Australians who don't follow the ins and outs, there was a lot of unmet need in Australia. Mm -hmm. And what's happened is once we've rolled out this scheme, more people have put their hand up for some support that mm -hmm. was previously estimated needed support. Mm. But that's fine. What's happened, though, is that sometimes where there's government money, you do get opportunistic behaviour by some service providers who seek to funnel some of that package to themselves. Mm. So what we need to do is make sure that when we're providing support for people in their budgets, that they access services that are reasonable and necessary, which are evidence-based. Yes. Mm. Yep. So I think uh, what you're doing here and just the daily transformations, that's evidence-based. Mm. Sometimes if you're a family and you've got a child who's taking a non-standard journey in terms of development, you can be desperate. Yeah. You yeah. just you just you want to do everything you, you can. can. That's yeah. just called yeah. it's called love. Yeah, that's um, right. Yep. But that means that sometimes people sell desperate families therapies which don't work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and that's the value of the evidence. The yeah. evidence sorts yep. what is a really good investment from something which perhaps isn't going to deliver yes. the returns and yep. is not the, the best path. Yeah, yeah. And I think for us as clinicians and researchers to hear that, that's mm. so encouraging to know if that's if that's how you position yourself yeah. with evidence, yeah. that's going to be supportive for the long term. Yes. Like this is the direction. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, science evolves and evidence yep. changes and it's sure. something that we all have to yep. move and grow with and, mm -hmm. and keep up but with. That means investing in it. When I... This is my second time as a politician covering the disability portfolio. I first mm. got involved between 2007 and 2010. Mm -hmm. And the research world in disability was fragmented. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, most of the money was just going in terms of firefighting, dealing with the crisis. Yeah, yeah. What we've tried to do is now the NDIS, and this is what's different to other countries, is we're on a path in the next two decades to be about 2% of our national economy just mm -hmm. invested in disability. Mm -hmm. But that's generating hundreds of thousands of jobs and it's changing hundreds of thousands of lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we've just got to make sure that it, there's evidence guiding the decisions. Mm, yeah. But I've got no doubt that with early intervention based on evidence, yeah. there are kids who 10 and 15 and 20 years ago would have suffered the tyranny of low expectations. Mm -hmm. Instead, they're going to do a whole lot of amazing things which because of our lack of, because not of them, but because of our community's misunderstanding of disability and just viewing it as a deficit, yeah. we'd have written them off into the too hard basket, which we no longer waste human mm. potential. No. That's beautifully said. Absolutely. Gosh, well, those snippets of time that we even just heard from you there, it's, yeah. it's inspiring in the sense of it just, it just, I know I feel really encouraged Absolutely. about what we can do and I hope our listeners also feel the same too. Yeah, and yeah. confident in yeah. the path forward. Yeah, well, yeah that's right. But you're, yeah. what you're all doing is inspiring. Mm -hmm. uh, what we saw with some of the people you're helping, it's good. It's a combination of uh, sensible support, mm -hmm. not being, you know, proper, good, generous support but also clever people and loving families and yeah. very talented kids. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for stopping by into our <laughs> humble studio here at Healthy Strides. It's been lovely to have you here and uh, we hope to have you again another time. Yeah, we'll host you again. Uh, to all of our listeners, thanks for tuning in for this very special but quick episode. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a privilege to have you, Minister, and, yeah, we hope yep. you'll join um, us again. It's, I'm Bill, and it's incredible. <laughs> the privilege is all mine. There's a mutual admiration society oh, going on this fabulous. podcast. Fabulous. Love so. it. I know. It's all happening. Well, thank you very yeah. much for listening, and we'll talk to you all again next time. Bye. 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 Bye.